0: You're listening to Dear Joseph, the podcast where we answer all your financial questions. This is a pure conversation podcast. Disclaimer, I'm not a financial advisor, and nothing I say should be considered as financial advice, but purely for entertainment purposes. Last week, we had a question regarding what happened with GameStop and the very large short squeeze and the volatility and what made GameStop's stock jump. This week, I would like to continue with that topic, explain another aspect. Originally, we were focusing specific on what actually happened, what caused the market to move. Now, I want to look at it more from a free market perspective, which is what, who are the parties at play, what they did to affect each other, and what potentially will happen in the future because of this. So if you have any questions on what's going on, Uh, In specifics, if if you don't know a lot of the details or definitions, so I would refer you to the previous podcast, the previous Dear Joseph podcast, to understand the details. Either way, the basics to the story was that a bunch of investors or a bunch of people on the internet, uh, because of a meme making fun of how easy it would be to create a short squeeze for GameStop because of how much the stock was shorted, they realized that that if they actually pulled it off, it would cause the stock price to skyrocket, which would force all the hedge funds to then buy, uh, buy it back at higher prices because a lot of people would be holding the stock without selling it, and there'd be higher demand for a few weeks. And then suddenly when the short sellers have to buy back the shares, the only shares that are available are the ones at the uh, th- that they're contractually obligated to buy are the ones are at the astronomically high price. And I pointed out what was likely, and it turned out to be true, that with the amount of money that was spent on to create these short squeezes it had to be in the tens of billions of dollars, because it wasn't just GameStop, which was... A couple billion dollars in shares that were purchased over that span of a week, but in fact, uh, you know, tens of billions, including you know an additional five or six other stocks. Like I speculated that me that it was likely that uh, certain big money or other firms were in on this, and it ended up being true. There were a few uh, Wall Street firms that actually joined in on with this, the uh, with the supposedly. Um, meme investors. And uh, while the meme investors, as we'll call them, were the ones who were trying to take down hedge funds and whatnot, uh, in the end, there were hedge funds that actually gained a lot of money from this. At the same time, in retrospect, we, they found that a lot of people who invested in GameStop actually lost a lot of money because they bought it really high, thinking that they were, that, you know, it was going to continue going up. They didn't know when to read the trend. And now they're stuck with, you know, they bought a, a stock for $300 that's now less than 100 and is likely to continue to drop. So the first question that a lot of people want to discuss and understand is, was this illegal? So the answer is no. It's not illegal to trigger a short squeeze. And even if a hedge fund itself did it, you know, by itself, it would not uh, actually be illegal. Now, a lot of people were bothered... Because certain brokerage firms, which we'll get into the two major uh, cases, that a lot of the brokerage firms throttled or limited how you could buy uh, GameStop and some of those other companies like AMC specifically, which caused the stock prices to drop immediately because of artificial supply and demand was cut off. So if you can only sell the stock, it means there's more supply and there's demand because people couldn't purchase it. And a lot of people assumed that was some sort of market manipulation, which, firstly, it was not because uh, when you apply to these or when you create accounts of these brokerage firms, you sign very large uh, terms and agreements. Pretty clear that, at this point, that within those terms and conditions, um, you are pretty much agreeing that they can throttle and stop uh, and and decide what you can and can buy. Impose restrictions, etc. But a lot of people were worried that there was a, some sort of conflict in interest, and that these brokerage firms, which people are using to buy these stocks, were actually trying to save the hedge funds that were shorting the stock. And because of this, a lot of regulators and government officials and media people in the media began to assume several things that triggered these. Um, brokerages to throttle the ability to trade shares. So they wanted to create potential regulations or at least try to convince people to use other platforms to go away from these, these companies that do not promote free market. First off, the most important thing is they did not violate any rules and they weren't clearly manipulating anything. While well, some of them implied that they were doing it for self-interest, That does not necessarily mean it was manipulation. And even if there was some sort of manipulation aspect to it, a short squeezing is not illegal. And even if there were some issues in regarding throttling people's ability to purchase shares when you are using an individual brokerage firm that you uh, sign up for, so naturally you lose some of the legal rights that you might have at a free market. Two Biggest culprits in this were TD Ameritrade and Robinhood, and both of them had very different issues, and I'd like to analyze uh, both of them to understand what happened. So first, TD Ameritrade, which was the first one to throttle anything, came out with a statement saying, in the interest of mitigating risk for our company and clients, we have put in place several restrictions on some transactions in GameStop and AMC and other securities. We made these decisions out of an abundance of cautions amid unprecedented market conditions and other factors. Now, Ameritrade, besides its brokerage firm, which allows people to trade stocks additionally, they also have uh, ETFs and mutual funds. And they also sell some of the information that they get from from uh, trader information from the people who use their platform and sell it or use it for their own purposes. So immediately, the idea that they're trying to mitigate risk is rather troublesome because they're choosing the... Risk of certain uh, clients over the other, meaning to say they're protecting their clients. That sort of defeats the whole purpose of using a brokerage firm, where they're saying, "Listen, we don't think you should make that investment, so, uh, so we're going to stop your ability to." So that's a that's a call they might be able to make, but that's really against the spirit of the free market. And what somebody who wants to invest you know, will want to do. Like if I want to invest in any stock I want, you know, I don't really care what someone else thinks. So the, so for them to stop me, I, I would just choose another outlet to use. Another interpretation uh, it sounded like to me was they were referring to other clients such as either their own mutual fund uh, and ETFs or, or a different fund. That they are uh, either helping out using their uh, using one of their services, etc. If that's true, while well, again not illegal, is definitely questionable. Why someone would want to use a service that prioritizes them selling, uh, you know, their security. So if they're trying to save their own short positions or the client's short positions, so I think it's difficult to want to choose one position over the other. So on TD Ameritrade's uh, side, I, I definitely have not seen a good explanation to why they throttled things besides that they're either trying to stop you from uh, investing or they're trying to stop or, or they're trying to save risks for themselves. And whichever the case is is pretty much against what any individual investor wants. So it would it would seem odd to me why why if that was the case, people would continue using. Uh, t D Ameritrade, but to understand Robinhood, first let's understand how Robinhood makes money and what Robinhood t- does. And then, Robinhood is the probably the bigger and more famous aggressor on the throttling of shares because number one, they were the number one, you know, the largest app finance app for a very long time, one of the most used brokerage firms. Especially for retail investors, and second, because they seem to be the most active. Where first they stop people's ability to buy completely, then they start limiting how many shares people could buy of some of these stocks that were affected by the short squeeze. Now, to understand the issues and the nuances of why they might they did it, um, you know, originally a lot of the media outlets and politicians, interestingly enough, on all sides of the aisles were calling out Robin Hood as they thought, again, that they were, Robin Hood was manipulating markets. They were trying to save hedge funds or themselves. And they immediately jumped to accuse Robin Hood of, of manipulating the market. Now, there were certain issues and things about Robin Hood which uh, just knowing about how the company was run might have led someone to believe something differently and actually what ended up being the case. So first off, we have to understand Robinhood's business model. Robinhood makes money in uh, primarily in three different ways. Number one is arbitrage, where um, or better, better yet, deal, they get deals on the market. Meaning, what happens is when they have an order for lots of uh, shares of something, so they're able to buy it at a discount. Right, it's easier to buy. You, know, you could buy a million shares of, let's say, Apple at a discount. I don't know that they're doing that much, but they, as opposed to buying and selling one share. So by grouping together uh, individual sales, being that they don't get triggered right away, um, it gives the ability for uh, Robinhood to actually buy at a discount. So while you might be placing an order at the market price, they might be able to get it for a couple points cheaper, which is how they, how they make their money. Second, they'll also never buy uh, uh, shares, you know, even before the discount, they'll never buy shares for cheaper than what you're buying it for. Meaning if, let's just say you have a stock that's worth $40, they're not going to trigger a sale until they could get it for a thirty. Let's say $39 or probably La Cosa, $39.98 or something like that. Meaning they're not going to actually make the sale for you unless they know they can get it for cheaper. And on top of that, an additional discount. Secondly, or thirdly, they make money by selling data to Wall Street. As we mentioned in previous podcasts, the way the stock market really works isn't that there's a real value to any stocks. Really, what happens is people value different shares of companies based off of its different ratios, or uh, even arbitrary reasons, for arbitrary reasons, and which makes it. V- you impossible to actually understand how investors are going to value any given asset. So what a lot of Wall Street firms and professionals might do is instead of trying to estimate how much, you know, a reasonable person or, you know, a large or a person who's actually buying the business as a whole might pay for it, they'll try to predict what individual investors will do. So they use data from individual, you know, group, large groups of individual investors to try to understand, you know, how they're going to react. So meaning, uh, potentially, the market is made up of, this, you know, certain types of investors. You now, first off, there are ETF investors, and that could be broken up even further, uh, which are going to passively own a percent of the a percentage of the market. So, for example, imagine just uh, S and P funds. So. Let's just say 2% of all the S&P companies are held by these ETF funds. And you know exactly how much of each amount of uh, each percentage of each company on the S&P that they're going to own. You add that all up and now you know 2% of the market is always going to be owned by these ETFs. You don't have to worry about it. Then you know 20% are going to be you know, inside investors or whatever. Then you're going to say, okay, well, 50% you know I, I, I then let's say hedge funds and the rest, the remaining are individual investors so how do i know what they're doing there are lots of people with lots of different uh, strategies so the way to account for the unpredictable is by trying to uh, to to understand the unpredict the you know the average person the of what happens when the unpredictable segment uh makes market moves so if you have access to that unpredictable segment so you can begin to make predictions on where stocks are going to be traded so robin hood would can trade or can sell that investor data to the firm so that they can try to create more accurate models conspiracies that were going on was that uh because robin hood's income comes or a lot of robin hood's income comes from selling uh, data to Wall Street, that they want to protect Wall Street, um, because it could be that those hedge funds were paying for Robinhood services. Now, logically speaking, there are lots of different hedge funds. Many of them have very different uh, positions, and it could very well be that there were just as many, if not more, uh, inve- hedge funds that had you know conflicting strategies that might have been against the hedge funds that... We're shorting GameStop, so that's uh, firstly one, um, X factor. Additionally, Robinhood actually works very different than other brokerage firms, and that is Robinhood confirms trades and transfers money faster than anyone else. Usually, it takes a couple days to transfer monies between accounts, you know, brokerage firms. Usually around three days. And same things when it comes to purchasing a stock, where funds have to settle, you know, market. Uh, market buys or sales need to be confirmed and usually it takes three days um, sometime, between three and five days to actually confirm any, any uh, real trades on the market. Um, Robinhood uh, treats your account or an individual's account as though it was traded right away and that there are no um, and, and they do not uh, really take time to settle funds which in one hand is Sort of risky for Robinhood, but that's how they're able to make their money. They they are able to convince people to spend money because it's easier, it's it's much easier and and more conducive to have your trades confirmed originally. And that creates a large need for liquidity. And additionally, um, Robin also makes money, gives the ability for people to borrow money to to trade. So, because for those two reasons, you see that Robinhood is actually uh, very has very low liquidity, where they're always using their money to uh, quickly confirm trades, confirm money transfer, or to loan money to investors. So you can see that uh, because the way brokerage accounts works and legally works, and just to actually. Uh, continue being in business without the legality of it. There needs to be a certain amount of money um, available to Robinhood to use to purchase shares. Um, in reference to the te- the amount of volume and purchases that are being done on their on their app or their brokerage firm, and being that there was such high volume, especially in these individual stocks, it's not unreasonable to understand. That they needed to throttle it because they didn't have liquidity, and additionally, a lot of people were or, were reporting that Robinhood would actually sell their their shares of AMC or GameStop. And originally, people thought that was you know for sure Robinhood manipulating the market, but it turns out that was only for accounts which were u- which were buying using margins, which Robinhood cannot continue to exist um, if they continued l- lending the money. So th- Presumably, they reserved the right to uh, sell shares that were bought on margins. They sold it; they, they foresold it to the individuals, and that actually uh, helped them remain liquid. And to prevent, uh, until they found a viable solution, you know, two two or three days later, until they were able to raise funds to continue being in business, they 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 needed them; they really needed the money to be able to make their purchases and to run their business uh, with without money they can't purchase shares for anyone and being that everything is on margins and um, you know while money's transferring they they actually give you money uh, to use in, in its stead so they had a lot of risk on their hand and legally and physically they could not continue to be a business had they not have throttled the High the stocks with extremely high out of characteristic volatility. So now you can kind of understand that Robinhood wasn't necessarily protecting hedge funds. It was actually seems very unlikely that they were, um, because number one, it's not clear that there would be any gains from it, because the whole point is they're selling to many different conflicting hedge funds, and the hedge funds are using this data from investors. To under to, to to predict what investors would do, this is a this is a scenario that would require some sort of uh, or would definitely help uh, with prediction models, seeing how these investors who were inspired to go after these hedge funds uh, to do unpredictably would react to market conditions. So. It seems to me that Robinhood was not going against their uh, mission statement, which is to democratize finance. Rather, they were actually just trying to stay in business than to follow regulations. And there were a lot of conspiracy theories about, you know, calls being made to Robinhood about, you know, throttling things from the government. And you know, Janet Yellen uh, made money by speaking at some of the hedge funds that were shorting uh, shares of GameStop. So she might have been involved, but it's unlikely. Even if uh, people are accusing her of these things, and you know she had a stake and you know didn't want to let these hedge funds go down, it is very unlikely that uh, she would have affected Robinhood really either way. Because Robinhood uh, to to survive really needed to continue being liquid and having money to be able to make all the regular purchases on top of the high volatility. But the question that people are discussing now is. What should people do in terms of regulations? Now, n- number one, and the first to be regulated would usually be a uh, a, a hedge fund before you know uh, individual investors. In the truth, it really doesn't matter who is being regulated. The in the end, either way you cut it, you're going to be infringing on a bunch of people and giving an unfair advantage to a different group whether you somehow can restrict the masses or restrict hedge funds on how they buy and sell, so you're going to be effectively throttling a lot of people's ability to make money and creating favors for some people to make certain types of investments through certain types of outlets. It's never a good idea to do that. I think free markets need to be free and as we can see individual investors have the ability to take on hedge funds additionally there are conf- always conflicting hedge funds with conflicting ideas so hedge funds are stopping can always stop each other from doing things the problem with the regulations is we don't want to encourage or create a safety margin for risky bets for anyone for hedge funds for individual investors many of these market derivatives like shorting stocks have caused millions of people to lose money, uh, depressions or financial or huge financial risk or financial takedowns of companies. And I don't think it's in the government's best interest or the individual investor's best interest to protect any types of market derivatives. I think the idea, if, if any regulation should be created, it should be actually to discourage or for example, uh, removing certain rights of leveraged firms or firms selling using derivatives to be able to declare bankruptcy, I think that might be a good first step to freeing up markets. I mean, I don't think forbidding these type of trades will do any good. I, I, don't, think, I don't know that they're necessarily useful or not useful, but certainly free markets are better than closed markets. And you don't want to give anybody an unfair advantage, and you don't want to protect people who do risky things that, if done on a large enough scale, can actually affect, uh, you know, the financial security of not just the firm but potentially the entire country or the world. So I believe it makes more sense to create laws to discourage uh, by by removing uh, by, by increasing the risks of making these types of trades.